Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee inviting you to join me for the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past, headlining some of the world's most famous personalities. On this program, we are featuring comedian Stan Freeberg and his radio cast, plus a complete program featuring Howard Duff as Detective Sam Spade. During the 40s and 50s, Howard Duff starred in the Sunday evening detective program, Sam Spade. This episode is entitled, The Dry Martini Caper. Date, August 1st, 1948. To Mrs. Netta Martini, 1000 Marina Boulevard, San Francisco. From Samuel Spade, license number 127596. Subject, Dear Netta. The first I knew of the caper was day before yesterday morning when I saw your husband's picture in the paper. It was one of those lovingly retouched executive-type photographs of a man in his late 40s or early 50s, graying at the temples and wearing an embalmed man of distinction look. The story was headlined, Corporation Head Waylaid by Mysterious Assailant. Chauffeur foils would-be kidnappers at offices of Martini Trading Company. The item under it wasn't as thrilling as the headline. Sounded as if he'd been knocked down for his wallet and the attempted kidnapping had been dreamed up by a bored city news reporter. I tossed it into the wastebasket along with my morning mail and went back to the police gazette. On page three, the phone rang. Unique garage, Harry speaking. Mr. Spade. One moment, who's calling? Gordon Martini. Not uh, Gordon Martini, the corporation head waylaid by mysterious assailant. Chairman of the board and there's nothing mysterious about it. Then what are you doing on this phone? I can't talk on the phone. Where are you? In a hospital? I left that pest house this morning. I'm at my residence, 1000 Marina Boulevard. Mm -hmm. It will take you exactly 20 minutes by cab. You will meet me in front of the building and we'll have our conference in my car en route to the office. Where's your office? Downtown Post Street. Oh, why don't I meet you there? I'm a busy man. have a full calendar. I'm already late due to all that hospital red tape. But I can fit you into my schedule if you'll hurry. Now, look alive, man. Well, it's a little early in the morning, but I'm trying hard. Good. What will you want for a retainer? I'll let you know if I decide to take the job. Fair enough. 20 minutes. I'll expect you. I uh, should have looked more alive. It took me two minutes to get out of the street, one minute to flag down a cab, and 18 minutes to reach your address, Netta. A total of 21 minutes. As my taxi drew up to the curb in front of the canopied entrance to the corner apartment house at 1000 Marina, I saw your husband pacing indignantly up and down in front of the entrance, pausing only to glare at the outsized chronometer on his left wrist. His gray Hamburg was perched atop an outsized turban of gauze bandage that decorated his head. Ah, I use spade. You're exactly one minute and uh, 22 seconds late. Hours are made of minutes, minutes are made of seconds. In killing this seemingly negligible interval of time, you have wounded an hour. Oh, I have. Well, I'm sorry. The uh, traffic's pretty heavy out here this hour of the morning, you know. And you should have started a minute and 22 seconds earlier. I'm sorry there was a bore on the telephone kept talking about how valuable his time was. Yeah, well, don't apologize. Only waste more time. Now, here's your check, $100. My car's just around the corner. I pay that chauffeur a large salary. We mustn't keep him waiting. In the meantime, you may as well start earning your fee. I've been earning it for the past uh, 22 minutes and 22 seconds. Wait. Uh-huh. I suspected as much. Do you drive a car? Yeah, you mean uh, one man drives all that? Uh, I see him, that rascally chauffeur of mine. Sleep in the back seat. All right, come out of there, you. Hey, hey, watch! I was behind him and a little to the right. The shock of the rapid-fire 30-caliber slugs lifted him off his feet and knocked him against me. I went down under his 300 pounds of dead weight. The 
time I rolled him off of me and got up, the gunman had jumped out of the limousine and into a gray sedan that was double parked alongside. In the welter of traffic on the boulevard, I didn't dare risk throwing a shot after him, but I did get the first three numbers of the license plate before it buried itself in the heavy stream of AM commuters. That's when the air changed from exhaust fumes to something out of a Persian garden. I turned and looked for the first time into your Nile green eyes, Netta, and saw you twisting a handkerchief in your pale hands I might have loved beside the Shalimar, but on Marina Boulevard, they looked like hysterics dead ahead. Who did it? You saw him. Don't lie to me. Why don't they come with hey, the no. ambulance? Why are all those people standing around there staring at me? Make them go Calm away. Down. Make them go away. Take I can't Eddie. stand no, it. Stop it, will you? That's better. Now, come on over here. Who are you, his wife? Yes, and it was all my fault. This is the end. I called Ernie out the window and asked him to come upstairs. I, I wanted him to return some lingerie. They sent the wrong color, peach. Yeah, yeah, who's Ernie? He's our chauffeur. I was looking for the exchange slip when we heard the shots. Is he dead this time? Yeah, don't go to pieces. Poor Gordon, he had so many enemies. He didn't drink well, you know. Would it be legal if I just avoided them till I can collect myself? I don't know about legal, but it might be smart. Where can we talk? What do you suggest? Well, there's a little cocktail lounge up on Lombard where Ernie and I all... Uh, I mean, well, it's, it's just around the corner. Very handy. Let's go. Against my mother's advice, I should have listened. But, well, that's why I married Mr. Martini. Well, uh, that brings us up to 1943, and it's only uh, quarter to twelve. You're just like him, always holding a stopwatch over my head. Always? Well, he drank, you know. You told me that. But it's much more important than you think. He often fell down and bumped his head. You mean that mysterious assailant that waylaid him last night in his office was a double martini? Two pitchers full before dinner. Two? Ernie had to carry him up to his office. Well, what did he go up there for? Oh, he had an appointment with the vice president of the firm, Mr. Nesbitt. Something had come up and he wanted Gordon to sign some papers. I don't know what. It wasn't the first time. I waited outside in the car. After Ernie had taken him upstairs, he came back to the car and we talked. Oh, uh-huh. Ernie has alibis upstairs, downstairs, and all around the house. Well, then when the others came out and Gordon didn't, Ernie went upstairs to see why. Others? Mr. Nesbitt and who else? Mary Callahan. Secretary? No, she's an attorney. And if you think everything was legal between those two, well... <laughs> but after all, who am I to call the kettle black? Now, what are you trying to tell me? That you got him drunk so they could make him sign some papers? That he got himself drunk so he couldn't write his name? Or that he just got drunk and fell down? Between you and me, I think she pushed him down a flight of stairs. In his condition, he'd never remember. Why are you putting a finger on the Callahan dame? Well, what would you think? She was the last one out of the building. Why didn't you want to tell all this to the police? Well, I didn't want to talk about his drinking. Things were bad enough already. That would have been the end. Well, that's as good an answer as any. What do you want me to do for you? Prove that she did it and Ernie didn't. I'll let you take care of Ernie. Oh, no. I don't want to alibi him unless I have to. He might get the wrong idea. You mean I've got the wrong idea? He might think it meant I still care for him, and I don't. I can't stand him anymore. The way he chews those toothpicks. <coughs> and besides, if his alibi is too good, I might have trouble about that carbine in the backseat of my car. Pardon me. It sounded as if you said you might have trouble about a carbine in the backseat of your car. That's what I said. Where is your car? In the garage. But somebody had it out this morning. They, they scraped the fender coming back in and they ran into the wall. They must have been in an awful hurry. Tell me, this car of yours, it wouldn't be a, a gray sedan? Yes. License number? Oh, wait a minute. It's on my key ring. Uh, here, 5D90. That's enough. Why didn't you tell me this before? Well, I, I couldn't get up the nerve. After I heard you tell that policeman the gun that killed Gordon was a carbine and the gray sedan and all that, well, it's the end. I hoped you were right, but I didn't think so. 
When I went to look at the gray sedan in your garage, I knew you were wrong, dead wrong. It was the getaway car, all right, and the carbine, as you know, was proven later to be the one that killed your husband. But Ernie had turned into a very poor suspect indeed. He was hugging the carpet between the front and rear seats, and when I nudged him, he didn't move. He'd been shot at closer range than Gordon Martini, and the killer had used only one slug. It was planted in the base of his brain, which made him not only a very poor suspect, but a very dead one. That netter took the heat off of you for the time being, which made things tough for me. I was sure of one thing. None of you had pulled the trigger of that carbine. There'd been a hired killer behind it, and the way he operated, taking crazy chances in broad daylight in a crowded street, told me an important thing about it. That night, I made the rounds of the joints. At a plant called the Bing Room, I found a bouncer who'd tossed out a customer that'd run up a bill and tried to pay it with a $1,000 check. He sent me to the Atlas Hotel. The Atlas Hotel is off of 3rd Street, down near the railroad yards. Not even a flea bag. The fleas sickened and died a long time ago. They couldn't take it. And from the look of the guests sprawled out in the mission furniture of the lobby, they wouldn't be able to much longer. A half-dead room clerk came back to the land of the living long enough to mutter a room number and wave me feebly toward a flight of crummy stairs. Yeah, what do you want? You, uh, Hack Hartman? Hey. Got anything for me, huh? Yeah, I got news for you. Get back in the room. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on in. Drop the shiv. Yeah, I'll drop it. I'll fix you. I'll cut you good. I'll cut you. I'll cut you. <laughs> I'm glad you did that. You make it easy for me. Now, get over there. <laughs> Leave me alone. Leave me alone, huh? I'm not feeling so good. You can feel a lot worse. Who hired you to put the burn on Martini? You don't get nothing out of me. <laughs> Who gave you that check? Oh, leave me alone. <laughs> I got all night, Hack, and I feel better than you do. Now, what did you do with that check? I'll shake it if your teeth come out with it. Come on. <laughs> all right, all right. Stop it, stop it. I don't feel so good. Okay. Where? Pocket. My shirt. Don't reach. I'll get it. It was a company check, which is what I'd expected. It was for $1,000 drawn on the Golden Gate Trust and Loan. But I wasn't expecting to find the signature on the bottom line. It was signed in a bold, firm hand, Gordon Martini. Who was the penman on this? He wrote it himself, right in front of me. What was it supposed to be for? Hey, he, he wanted I should knock off his brother. You get mixed up? Well, he's dead, ain't he? That's what I mean. Gordon Martini's dead. Ah, the papers got it wrong. That was his brother, his twin brother. That other guy, that chauffeur, kept hanging around the garage so I couldn't get out. I had to, I had to burn him, too. You know what I, you're saying? Yeah, 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 I'm making sense. Now get out of here. I, I'm getting steamed. Don't let it worry. I got a nice, cool place all picked out for you. After I turned Hack over to the cops, I did what checking I could on my own at that time of night. As nearly as I could learn, Gordon Martini could never have had a brother, twin or otherwise. He was a first child, his mother died in childbirth, and his father died one month later. So I went back to the offices of the Martini Trading Company, glass-keyed my way in, and made a quick frisk of it. There I learned that the signature on the check was indeed Gordon's, but that he had closed out his account at that bank the day he wrote it. I thought about that on the way out to your apartment.
Sam, I've been calling and calling, trying to reach you. I've been so worried. It's the end. This time you might be right. Fix me a drink. Well, there's nothing in the house but those prepared martinis Gordon used to drink. Is that all right? No, but fixing me one anyway. Never mind the ice. It's not morning yet, but I hate myself already. Why don't you just relax and let me get it for you? I'll relax. You get the martinis. I put ice in anyway. It's nasty without. It's nasty anyway. <laughs> I hope it doesn't make you fall down the way it did poor Gordon. Thanks. What? Well, what's the matter? Too dry? You open this bottle fresh? Why, yes. What's the matter? Where are they? The rest of the bottles. Oh, yeah. More of the same. Is this all your husband ever drank? Yes, gallons of it. It's a special brand. He even took it with him to bars and people's houses. He'd sit and drink them right out of the bottle like a little child. And he'd be falling down drunk, of course. And that's how we lost so many friends. They dropped us like, like... Like flies. Yeah, it was the end. Who are you phoning? City morgue. Uh, Maxie, Sam Spade. Sammy, what can I do on you? On, uh, Martini, Maxie. Uh, they got around to the autopsy yet? Yeah, they rushed him through. Got the report handy? Right in front of me. Funny thing, Sam. The doc said they should have saved themselves the trouble. He'd have been dead in a week or two without no help. What from? Brain tumor. Malignant, it says here. Any alcohol in him? None from drinking, Sammy. Uh, what about the head wounds? Accidental fall due to periodic fainting spells. Part of his condition. Thanks, Maxie. Well, what is it, Sam? Were the martinis poison? No, sweetheart. The martinis were colored water. Why, they couldn't. Well, what made him get so drunk? He didn't. He was sick. But, Sam, who killed him? He killed himself. But he couldn't have. He hired a gunman to do it. He planned his own murder. He wanted to ruin you. He let Mary Callahan fleece him out of his interest in the company. He let Nesbitt juggle the books. He let you go your way with Ernie. He let all three of you fix yourselves up with as nice a set of motives for murder as a jury could ask oh, for. Oh, couldn't have. The real joker was the check he used to pay off the man he hired to kill him. It bounced. It also proved he'd planned his own murder. But he still has his revenge. Because the insurance that would have kept the corporation from going broke won't be paid off on account of the self-liquidating cause. Oh, Sam, darling, what's going to become of us all? Well, uh, Callahan and Nesbitt will probably sue each other to death. You might have to go to work and earn a living. Well, I have $500. I might invest it in something. You already have. Here's my bill. But, Sam, you didn't help me. What? This is the end. No, it isn't, sweetheart. This is the beginning. Come here. Period. Uh, end of the end. Oh, I love you when you're so gay and carefree. I am not gay and carefree. I you am a... You are a hard-boiled private eye. <laughs> Good night and sue me for your back salary, sweetheart. And here's comedian Stan Freeberg with his parody of Sam Spade. The name's Sam Spillade. Hello, sweetheart. Hello, Sam. This caper started when a tough guy with a nose like a broken liverwurst called me on the phone. I picked it up. I picked it up. And the tough guy says, This is Max of Max's Nifty Thrifty. You spillade. He bit off his words like a rattlesnake striking a radish. <laughs> yeah, I'm spillade. 
What do you want, tough guy? The gravy mob is moving in. I got a job for you if you got what it... <laughs> well, I didn't hear the end of his sentence. Darn it. <laughs> Next thing I knew, I was waking up on the sidewalk. My head feeling like an Earth satellite 560 miles off my neck. <laughs> the rain was pelting in my ear like a faucet dripping in a rubber sink. Someone dropped a lit cigarette on my cheek and a black pointed Capizio shoe size 3 AAA was grinding it out. There was ankle above that shoe, and it was everything an ankle should be. But there was more. A tiny ankle bracelet. Beside the ankle bracelet, there was an ankle bracelet. With the words... Melissa, Alexandria, Shrevenhop, and Gortensbotten with love forever and ever. Signed Max of Max's Nifty Market where the food's a delight and the price is just right. <laughs> I made my move. The ankle broke like a kid's Thanksgiving wishbone on Christmas Day. <clears throat> she screamed and fell like a sack of wet spaghetti at a noodle festival. <laughs> I looked down at her. She was beautiful in that orange bathing suit and built the most. A perfect 39, 39, 39. Her hair floated in the running gutter like a spun gold mop in a bucket of crankcase oil. I kissed her full on the mouth. So that was the pitch. Where the beautiful doll with her sconce in the gutter fitted into the picture, I didn't know yet. But I was gonna find out. I went to pay a call on Max to see what he'd hired me for. His stand was a big supermarket layout. I crawled through a window. <laughs> it was plate glass. It was easy to spot Max. You couldn't miss. He was big and he was tough and he had Max on his jacket. I gave him my calling card. It was a kick in his stomach. <laughs> he fell like a large tree in a blast furnace. No, pardon me, Sam. I didn't recognize you at first. So that was the story. The gravy mob was moving in, slithering, sliding through the supermarket like a three-legged octopus in a pool of yogurt. <laughs> I didn't know which way to turn, so I went into a commercial. I nailed the lid on the commercial and skipped back to the store. I was up against a stone wall and suddenly... Suddenly I felt like it had fallen on my head. I woke up on the sidewalk. My head felt like a sack full of knuckles. My brains unscrambled as I felt a burning cigarette being crushed out in my cheek by a foot in a fresh white plaster cast. There's something familiar about the orange toenail. So I looked for the other leg and tenderized it. I rushed back into the store and made for the frozen foods department. Just as I thought. 
There was a large woman leaning over the freezer. She was loading up with frozen TV dinners. I grabbed her Fruit of the Loom house coat and ripped hard. That high-pitched scream didn't fool me, for underneath the dress was Baby Jowl's Drawspeck. Notorious food heister. I spun him toward me, and there were the telltale gravy spots on his vest. I whipped out my 38 snub nose like a snake and inserted it in his right ear. <laughs> the gun in my ear tickles, boy. I like to tickle. Then this sawed-off shotgun on your back ought to be a riot. I could feel the two barrels pressing into my back. It was Max. One move and there'd be a hole in me like the grill of an Edsel. I was about to make my move when the sweetest voice this side of the turtle said, All right, Max, drop the pea shooter. As the gun clattered to my feet like a sawed-off shotgun falling on a supermarket floor. <laughs> I turned around and there she stood in two fresh plaster casts. With her orange bathing suit and white legs, she looked like little orphan Annie at an aquacade. <laughs> but stacked. All right, boys, let's go. Surprised, Sam. I had to admit she had me buffaloed. Upon closer examination, what I thought said Jansen on her hip in actuality said, Yours truly, Jenny Dollar 98. <laughs> I kissed her full on the lips. She liked it. How did you tumble to the caper, Sam Ola? It was easy. Max was the head of a ring that smuggled TV dinners illegally to people who had no television sets. <laughs> She bit me on the ear, and blood ran down my neck like a red river of no return. I gave her a love tap with my blackjack. She gave me a knee in the stomach, a judo chop in the back of my neck, and a right plaster cast full on the mouth. My bridge work bounced around the floor like Mexican jumping teeth. I smashed her collarbone with a jug of blackstrap molasses <laughs> and went home. When I got home, I poured myself a tall one and sat down by my radio to gum a TV dinner. <laughs> all in all, I had quite a day. I wrapped up the gravy mob caper and put in a claim to Blue Cross. Signed, yours truly, Sam Spillett. Well, that wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you to join me next week for more shows and personalities from Radio's Golden Days. This is the American Forces Radio and Television Service.